0: Hey gang, Tom here. Before we commence with all the movie goodness, we are proud to announce that we've got our message boards up and running. We've had a lot of requests for this, and now thanks to the one and only Eric Frome, you can mosey over to betterinthedark.proboards105.com and start chatting with your fellow movie fans on past and present Better in the Darks, suggest new episode topics, share movie news, and even debate on the big issues in the film industry. It's the kind of community you've been waiting for, so we'll see you there. When I was younger, just to my mama noticed funny things I did Like shooting puppies with a BB gun I'd poison from when I was done I'd find the pussy get bash the its head That's when my mama said Come inside. Ignore the strange stickiness of the carpet beneath your feet. Find the right seat, the one without the missing arm and the exposed springs. Pull the candy bar out of your inside coat pocket. Look at the color swirls. The canned music plays. Wait for the lights to go down. Listen for the telltale clacking of film being pulled through the gate. Relax. Watch, because we all feel better, better in the dark. The dark. Here he is, folks. Leader of the Watch him suck
1: A glimpse of stocking was looked on as something shocking, but heaven knows it's better in the dark. Anything goes. (laughs) Oh again. Once again, we... Why are we doing this? People hate us when we do this. We're carrying on this tradition of singing, which we shouldn't do, but... Now, you should have done it, though, in the Cantonese. As per my favorite Indiana Jones movie, Indiana Jones Jones and the Temple of Doom. Doom, which has... One of the most memorable opening Mm -hmm. sequences of any movie because it's a musical. And that's what this episode
0: is about. This this started out as the Bad Movies We Love annual visit. But we're going to do that another time because this metamorphosizes... Well, you tell me. You challenged me to make all of my Bad Movies I Love musicals. So I went out and I found three... Bad musicals that I had several degrees of admiration for,
1: and he found one really bad one that even he managed to talk me into. Now I'm looking at, yeah, well, you know, so it does have some redeeming quality. So he wouldn't be alone. I went, even though my musicals may
0: not be bad, yeah.
1: I feel they're quirky well, that's enough. That's why we're
0: calling them weird as opposed to bad. Well, one of them you really. Yeah, not only that, we'll be talking about it when we get to one of those musicals. Mm-hmm. I had an encounter with the star of one of them. Yes, yeah, so and you actually should lead off
1: with that one. But I'm not going to tell you the order we okay. should do it with. It's going to be interesting. In to, fact, uh, here's his card. You know, music- that, yeah, yep, that's him. That's, that's him.
0: We're, We're not going to we- tell you who it is. You're gonna in <laughs> he looks exactly the way I remember him. All right. He has aged very well. I will give you that much. Well, we'll get to... And he seems so, so pleased that somebody was talking about his movie. Since we're talking
1: about this particular chap, and I see you've already got on the window box. You've
0: got it pulled up already.
1: Why don't we start off with you, and you can tell the
0: people finally who it is and the movie. All right. The first of my three weird musicals that I chose is from 1980, when Disco was very, very dead... But not in the land of Alan Carr, who put together (laughs) Can't Stop the Music! (laughs) Its original title, by the way, was Disco Land, Where the Music Never Stopped. Well, by the time this movie came out, yeah, it had stopped. Yes, (laughs) it had stopped, had had been buried, unburied, and buried again. This is, of course, the infamous Village People musical. And the person that we've been talking about, and whose card we have between us, is Randy Jones who was the original cowboy. The original cowboy. The interesting thing about this film, one of the things, this is a very loosely based origin story for For the village people. Village people, yeah. Which is more or less true, it's just a lot of the facts are kind of skewed a bit. Because I doubt Bruce Jenner was yeah. manager in their manager in real life. No. <laughs> Nor was Valerie Perrine their house mother. Hey, if you gotta have a house mother, mm-hmm. you could do a lot
1: worse than Valerie Perrine, trust yeah. me. Yeah. And for those of you who are too young to remember Bruce Jenner, who are probably sitting out there saying... What the fuck? Who is Bruce Jenner? Bruce Jenner's main claim to fame was that he was an Olympic multiple gold yeah. medal winner. Say what you want about the man's acting
0: talents when it came to bringing home the gold for America. He did it. This was the brainchild of famous 70s producer Alan Carr, who was looking for the next big thing. He had done Grease. He had had a hand in Saturday Night Fever. Thank so God it's Friday. Thank so God it's Friday. So he was like on a roll, because everything he to really touched turned to gold. Yeah. So he decided to turn the village people into movie stars. He came up with this plot. The village people started out as the front men for a musical songwriter by the name of Jacques Morelli who couldn't get his music out into the public. He was a frustrated singer. Yeah, but he was a frustrated singer because apparently he had a very high, wispy voice that didn't go well with the music he wanted to sing. But when he turned his talents toward producing, wow, yeah. he took off. He was one of the moguls mm-hmm. of the right. disco era. Uh, he was an out-homosexual. He created the village people by casting five men and casting them in the different fantasies that various... Gay communities had. They
1: were like a superhero. Team yeah, because like, everybody yeah. had their
0: own distinct. They had the Indian,
1: who I remember like. Felipe Rose. Get your mind out the gutters, folks.
0: We had the motorcycle cop. The motorcycle cop, who was a-, a session musician. He sang back up on a lot of on Motown. Ray Simpson. You had the construction guy. The construction worker, David Hodo. You had Randy Jones the Cowboy. Right. Alex Brierley was the G.I. G.I., And, right. of course, the one everybody remembers, Glen Hughes has Glenn the Leatherman. What Morelli did was put this group together, just as much for their looks as for their singing capacity, mm-hmm. and gave them his songs to sing. They became a major sensation oh, in the late man, 70s. Oh, man, forget about it. If I show you on, on my
1: computer now... I bet you I've got just about every song that they mm-hmm. did in the Navy, Macho Man, YMCA. YMCA
0: these guys, yeah. Now, so, contrary Fire to, Island. Contrary with, to popular belief, not all of the members were gay. I don't know who is who, but I think two were gay, and the rest were straight. It should be said that I don't know for a lot
1: of people, but their music was just so good and was so danceable. The sexuality thing kind of really faded into the background because everybody just enjoyed it because it was good yeah. party dance music, which is why. I think it's still listened to today. And it's
0: funny how the backlash happened when it did. For the longest time, and I'm sure, I don't know if you remember this, I remember in high school being paraded into a little van run by the Navy and shown a recruitment film oh, using yeah. In the Navy has its theme
1: song. <laughs> a lot of you out there listen to this, you don't know what we talk about, but believe it or not, people didn't know what the subtext of In the Navy right. was. Back then... The Navy, in TV commercials, mm-hmm. were using in the Navy as a recruiting until right. somebody pulled to the side. Said, listen, this is what the lyrics really right. mean. <laughs> but also, that happened to me, too, because I love this song, Fire Island. Right. You know, fire, it's mm-hmm. a funky weekend, a funky... Fun. And I used to go around singing that song because I didn't know anything about Fire Island right. until one of my gay friends took me to the side. I said, well, do you know about Fire Island? <laughs> and I said, well, no, and he told me. And I said, oh, okay, he's <laughs> a... So, Needless to say, I
0: didn't go around singing
1: that song in public right. so
0: much. Carr figured, because, let's be honest, this, this was a very colorful group, he thought that they would be ripe to make the leap to movies. The first draft was done by infamous Oscar speech writer Bruce Falange. The final script was done by Alan Carr and Bronte Woodard. It was directed by, of all people, Nancy Walker. Yeah. A bounty tower lady. Rhoda Morganster's mother. Me. It focuses on a young woman, Samantha Simpson, played by Valerie Perrine, who is looking for something to do in life. She's an ex-model, she's retired, mm-hmm. and she's just looking for her direction. Valerie and she, Perrine could just stay in that yeah. <laughs> Although it's like such a ditzy 80s film. Yeah. There's one thing that has a long-time contact wearer that... Just gives me shivers. The left eye, she puts in a relish jar. The left eye, she puts in a mustard jar. Yeah. It's like, so you want to be blind by the time you're 30, Valerie. Okay. Absolutely. Valerie has a lot of friends. Let's, let's lay, lay it on the table. Valerie's a fag hag. Yeah, um, exactly. That's what she is. Miss Samantha Simpson is a fag hack. She's friends with Felipe and a couple other. It's funny that, like, her one female friend is... Played- Derek Ferguson's definition, fag hag, <laughs> A female
1: who likes to exclusively hang out with homosexuals. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Tom. Okay.
0: Her one female friend is played by Marilyn Sokol, who uh, Lulu Brecht is the character's name. I swear to God, it looks like whoever made her up wanted her to look like Tim Curry in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. See it now. <laughs> so what Valerie decides to do is she decides to put her money and her fame behind some of her friends, and forming a band called The Village People. She enlists the aid of Ron White, who is a lawyer, played by Bruce Jenner. Yeah. It has to be said that Bruce Jenner has the charisma of a block of wood in this film.
1: Well, he's an athlete. He's not an actor. No, let's face it. People want to rag on athletes and other people. That said Oh well what made them think That they could act But how many of us out there Could resist If somebody walked Mm -hmm. up to us And said listen I
0: want to put you In a major Hollywood Motion Mm -hmm. picture Valerie In terms of the music For her friends Turns to her roommate Played by Steven Gutenberg Yeah Playing Jack Uh Morrell And it's never Out and out stated That he's gay Mm -hmm. But it's kind of strongly implied. It's implied, yeah. I mean, there's a, one line where Valerie Perrine says to him, it's like, you've cost me more than any other man I've known, and I haven't even slept with you. Anybody's got Valerie Perrine, <laughs> and you haven't yeah. slept with her? Or at he's tried to? I could see where... So they formed this band, what they call Village People... Ooh, what a coincidence. And it's funny because uh, Bruce Jenner just offers the offices of his father's law firm because it's for auditions. In, because a lot of this first part of the movie is set in Greenwich Village. In yeah. Village. All these weirdos show up, eventually Len the Leatherman, who turns out he works at one uh, well, of the tow booths in the Jersey Turnpike. Yeah, he jumps up on the table and he starts singing Danny Boy. He struck me as kind of like a low-rent Freddie Mercury. The, the funny thing is... But like, he's got a lot of energy. He's yeah. got a lot of energy and he's got that... Very, very, very fey voice, which I just thought was like so hilarious. They find the the police officer gives one of Valerie Perrine's and friends a th- ticket. Actually,
1: the scene that you made that's actually one of the funniest scenes in the movie where he sings Danny Boy when he jumps up
0: on there. because he sings it like, like yeah, oh, daddy, daddy. Boy. and this follows Perrine's pursuit of getting them signed to Marrakesh Records run by her ex-boyfriend Steve Waits, played by Paul Sams, who most people don't remember nowadays, but there was a period of time when he was a really hot commodity. I remember Paul Sands. Yeah. He had a
1: TV series at one time? Yes, he yeah. Yeah. did.
0: Yeah. And it results in a grand concert in San Francisco.
1: This movie wants so hard to be a disco version of a hard day's night. Yeah, he, it doesn't make it, but let me put it this way. Well,
0: part of the, the reason why I People think, like me and you yeah. that
1: remember the 70s will probably get a lot more yeah. out of it
0: than... Anybody that, say, that was born any time after. Part of the fun for me about this film is... I mean, I, think I understand why this film died at the box office. Because it was released about a year too late. When they started filming it, Disco was at its height. By the time it was completed, mm-hmm. Disco had died. I find it very funny how they try to leech every hint of gay pride or gay theme out of the story. Mm-hmm. Although, and they can't escape that because like in the YMCA sequence where it's all be pretty much put out there
1: for you, you to know, say, okay, okay, this is what we're This really, is what we're talking about. This is what we're really talking about. Folks. But, and if you can't get it,
0: hey. <laughs> yeah, but then you get like a sequence like when they they sing the song Liberation, which is about day when gays can walk freely mm-hmm. in the streets. It's done in the most sterile way possible to, like I said, to take any, all the fun out of it. The other really gay thing I, I love about this film, what? Bruce Jenner is wearing these Suits and ties for the first half until he decides he's just he's going to quit the law firm, becomes a manager. Mm-hmm. Next thing, any time we see him, he's walking down the street with the Street people in little 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 yeah, tight cutoff shorts yeah. and the mesh T-shirt. Yeah. After a
1: while, it gets to be where they just say, "Okay, folks, this is what we're really mm-hmm. talking about." I think that people like you and I who remember the disco era will get a lot more out of it because yeah. now we can look back on it and kind of have fun with the silliness and yeah. the fun of that era back then, whereas people that were born after that, just look at that and say, were all that, of you drugs yeah. back then or what? Which is the response I have gotten from a lot of younger people who look back at the 70s and 80s
0: and I say, I said, yeah, pretty much all of us were. <laughs> I mean, what can I tell you? I do want to make a brief mention of the climax, which I said happens at this big San Francisco concert Mm -hmm. alan carr's original idea was that it was going to be a free concert a quote-unquote a party between the village people and five thousand of his closest friends but if you look at the way that concert is shot there's very little shots of the audience and that's because the people that showed up were drag queens and a lot of just like types that alan carr because alan carr added in his mind that he was going to make this into a family movie he got nervous and that's why the Blast sequences shot so weirdly. But
1: would you recommend that people
0: it's, see this? It's fun in its own way, and yeah, you're going to start laughing a mm-hmm. lot at some of the ridiculous characters, because the characters are all pretty ridiculous. Mm hmm. Prying with her almost criminal neglect to her health, but it has its charm. Okay. And it is kind of fun, and I've watched it several times, and I will probably watch it several more times again. I hear you. You know, I like it
1: myself. I think it's a wonderful movie. I enjoy it a lot. See, I watch anything that's got Valerie Perrin in it myself. You know that. Between this movie and Superman, forget about it. I can just sit and watch them two movies. What about, like, Lenny? Yeah, right. She was in the Lenny Bruce film Mm -hmm. as well. So I guess I'm up now, right? You're up now, yes. My first choice is a movie that I think is one of the best musicals I've ever seen. Period. Right. But it also qualifies as being... A weird musical. Right, It's the 1986 Frank Oz directed Little Shop of Horrors. Little Shop, Little Shop of Horrors. Starring Horace. Rick Moranis, Ellen Green, who both you and I yes. have seen recently in Pushing Daisy, right. who commented on that, Vincent Gardenia, Steve Martin, and most memorably... The voice of the lead singer of the four tops, the late Levi Stubbs, Stubbs, who was nominated for an Academy Award just for his Mm -hmm. singing in this movie. That's how awesome the man is. If you haven't seen the movie, the movie has a convoluted history. It was originally a movie
0: in 1960, I believe, directed by Roger Corman. Famous story about this. Somebody, like an idiot, bet Roger Corman he couldn't make a movie. Movie in two days. In two days. Right. And Roger Corman says you got, and he won that bet.
1: Yeah, he did, because he filmed this in two days. The 1960 version is probably most memorable because it's one of the first film roles of Jack Nicholson. You're right,
0: because he plays the dentist's patient. He plays the patient who actually likes pain. And it ends with that unforgettable, like, thanks a lot, Doc, for helping me out. And he turns around and got, like, all these teeth missing. He looks and like a jack-o'-lantern. And the
1: 1986 film, it's a little bit of a departure because they made the movie. Mm-hmm. Then it became a stage play. A stage play. Stage play was so popular mm-hmm. that they made this version, which and was if, a musical. And made know. a star
0: out of Ellen Green. Decided to make it into a
1: full-blown movie mm-hmm. musical. They figured that it was going to be good. They figured that a lot of people were going to see it. But it became an unexpected runaway hit when it was in the movie theater. And I can easily see why. Because usually in most musicals, I don't like every song. Right. This is one of the few musicals where I can say I like each and every song. Mm-hmm. The story is good. The acting is good. story is you have Rick Moranis, who plays a nebbish like nobody else can. Seymour Krelborn. Seymour Krelborn. He finds a strange plant he's never seen before, and he can't identify it from the books he's been studying. He was an orphan, and a guy named Mr. Mushnick, who runs a flower right. shop, gave him a home, which is a little cubbyhole in the back of the flower shop. Mm-hmm. And Seymour has become an expert on plants. However, he cannot identify this particular plant. There's a good reason for that. This plant comes from out of Spain. Right. And it's a flesh-eating plant. At first, Seymour, like, he cuts his right. finger and he
0: gives it blood. And it keeps growing and growing and growing. And eventually, it needs a little bit more than blood. Luckily for Seymour, there's this abusive boyfriend of this girl that he likes. Or, who, whose name is Audrey, played by Ellen Green. Green. Her he, boyfriend he, is a dentist,
1: yeah. A greaser dentist, yeah. Orin or Scrovelli. yes Right, because that's how he always right. pronounces himself. It's pretty obvious that he's slapping the shit out of Audrey. She works at the same flower shop owned by Mr. Mushkin and where Seymour works at. And she's always showing up with black eyes Mm -hmm. and bruises. She
0: just ran into a door.
1: But she loves this guy to death. In a memorable song, Audrey too says, you know, he's got blood. I need blood and he's got more than enough. Feed me, Seymour. Yeah, yeah, feed me. Seymour kills the dentist accidentally. That's what happens. He starts eventually feeding his plant, which gets bigger. And, and bigger there. and bigger, and starts exerting more and more control over Seymour because they're locked in this really symbiotic relationship where it seems <laughs> as the plant, which he named Audrey, too actually is able to influence on some psychic mystical level because Seymour's life gets better. Right. The flower shop starts flourishing. Everybody's got money. Mr. Mm -hmm. Mushnick going on TV. He's like saying, I'm going to adopt you, Seymour. Yeah. Seymour's like really torn. He's saying, you know, he knows what he's doing is wrong, Mm -hmm. but hey. And Audrey is noticing him Yeah.
0: This movie... It's got a terrific... And you forgot movie. one of the most interesting elements in this whole film, which What's is, that? of course, me. the three girls. I was just about to okay. say that. One of the best
1: things I like about this movie is that it's got a Greek chorus of three black girls. and They're all named after girl groups from the right. 50s. One is named Chiffon, um, and what one is, one is Crystal? Crystal, and one is Ronette. Look at two of them. One of them is played by Tisha Campbell ah. from the Martin Lawrence show, mm-hmm. and the other one is played by the other girl that played Pam. Tashina Arnold. Right. As Crystal. Crystal, Ronette, and Chiffon. Tashina Arnold, who right now is on Everybody Hates Chris, the girl. But they show up every once in a while, and through song, they keep advancing the story. Right. Because they keep having these little numbers, mm-hmm. and they show up in the background. And one of the best songs that they have is at the beginning where they sing the theme song. Ellen Green has a wonderful song, Somewhere That's Green, right. where she sings about how she wants to marry Seymour mm-hmm. and
0: go away and live happily ever after. And, and, of course, my favorite song, which is a song that Steve Martin does, is the dentist song. You'll be a dentist. Son, be-, be a dentist. dentist. Yeah. You have a talent for causing things pain. Pain, Son <laughs> be <a> dentist. <laughs> People will pay you to be inhumane. I can't believe I remember that. But it's a memorable
1: song. This is one of the few musicals where every song I like. It's also worth mentioning that they actually had to change the ending of this movie. I think it's like a half hour.
0: They had to go back and refilm it. Audiences had fallen so much in love with the characters... In the stage play, it ends with everybody dead. Like the original movie. In the original ending, which was available once on a VHS of all things, Little Shop
1: of Horror. That VHS you talk about? Yeah. That's the only movie that was ever recalled by the studio. Yeah. They pulled back everything because they changed the ending. Featured the plant going on a rampage
0: and pulling down the Brooklyn Bridge.
1: And I believe it ended with it on top of the Statue of Liberty. Right. In the original ending, Seymour is dead, Audrey's dead, yes. he, everybody's dead. Preview audiences hated it. Right. They reshot it with Jim Belushi. They called him back and they reshot the ending. It's a happier ending, but still they leave it on a pretty dark note. Yeah. At the end we see Seymour and Audrey they're going to the little house yes. that she dreamed of, but in the front yard there's, a a little, or, there's an Audrey growing. Audrey three, gr- I, Audrey three is guess. growing and she and, and the plan is grinning. Levi Stubbs, the man was nominated for an Academy yeah. Award just Voice I work. also
0: want to mention that, although they didn't put it in the stage play in the film version they did recreate that famous scene with jack nicholson and they figured they need to get the actor as famous as jack nicholson mm-hmm. to play that patient so they got bill murray exactly yeah There's that one moment where he's like moving his tongue so there's yeah like, like and you like... know why i forgot because he's
1: not even bill when he shows up it really is a surprise this movie i cannot recommend it highly enough if you're looking for a fun night at the movie if you like musicals i recommend this movie people who
0: claim that they hate musicals mm. and they've seen it and they say you know something you're right i like that right. one not sure i think that this is actually out of print so you gotta go looking for it
1: yeah you have to actually hunt but it's worthwhile but
0: i have heard that they are going to
1: be reissuing it with the infamous original ending but it's they're, it gonna they're, they're gonna have yeah. color yeah they're gonna have color because originally it was just in black and white right. with no music and no special effects, but now they're going to do it upright, so be on the lookout for that. Little Shop of Horrors, I cannot recommend it enough. It's a fun, weird musical, and even if you don't like musicals, you're going to like this one, I guarantee it. Now we're
0: talking about Steve Martin. We're going to talk about Steve Martin again as we move into my next one. I'll be the first to admit that the reason I find this film fascinating is more for the backstory of how it became to be rather than for the movie itself, which is Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Oh! From 1978. The infamous Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. This is a really, you you were talking about weird musicals, this is a really, really, really peculiar film. And I believe I've
1: only seen this one time, and I said, I don't think I want to see this again. (laughs) The backstory
0: that I find so fascinating is that Roger Stigwood, who made a lot, a lot of money off of Saturday Night Fever, and, and Greece G- yeah, And Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ Superstar. Superstar. Robert Sigwood was obsessed with the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And in the late 60s, put together a short-lived off-Broadway play called Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Mm-hmm. This was like his dream project. This is something that he would not let go. Mm-hmm. So when he got enough capital and power in Hollywood due to Saturday Night Fever and due to Greece and due to... Yeah, doo doo. <laughs> and all those other soundtrack that he released on his RSO record label. He used that clout to put together a live action, big screen, big budget version of this off Broadway play that he did. He should have saved his money. But hey, it was his money. So. It was his money. And more power to him. This is pretty much the film that sank RSO because yeah. they he put a lot of money into. Not only this film, but in the soundtrack. Yeah. If you've ever seen the soundtrack, it's a double record set Mm -hmm. with this elaborate, elaborate packaging. Mm -hmm. Where it opens up and it folds over like a book. Yeah. How to describe this plot. There is no plot. There is a plot. I don't get to it. This film has no dialogue. It's a bunch of Beatles songs. It is no dialogue whatsoever. Yeah, right. The only lines of spoken dialogue you hear throughout the film is a narration provided by George Burns, which I'm willing to bet was put there after the fact. After the fact. all you To provide a narrative yes. structure. Un- yeah. so, so you can understand the plot, because there is one. It's just, you don't understand, because it's just... Beatles song after Beatles song after Beatles song. The idea is that Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band was this legendary band that had, throughout the world, spread peace and goodwill throughout the first half of you know, the 20th century. Mm-hmm. However, eventually, Sergeant Pepper got too old. and mm-hmm. He retired and died and left his famous flugelhorn, Mm -hmm. to his grandson, Billy Shears, who Mm -hmm. is played in this film by Peter Frampton.
1: One of the funniest things about this movie is that when you eventually find out who Sergeant Pepper is, you kind of figure, how did Peter Frampton become
0: his grandson? (laughs) But we'll get to that in a moment. Peter decides to reform... Sergeant Peppers has a rock band with his old childhood friends the Hendersons uh-huh. played by the Bee Gees. The Bee Gees. Who were mega hot at the yes. time because <laughs> the Day Day Day. Day. Again, they attract the attention of a pop producer for Big Pig Records, played by Donald Pleasance. And now,
1: wasn't Robert Stigler's organization, wasn't part uh, of their logo, yes. uh, a pig? A pig. Just want to throw that out
0: there. Donald Pleasant signs Billy Shears and Sgt. Peppers mm-hmm. to a record contract and brings them out to L.A., leaving behind, of course, Billy Shears' little sweetheart, played by future... Kindergarten teacher, Sandy Farina. That is literally what she did after she did this film. In Pepperland. Yeah, Pepperland, USA. Yeah. Middle of Heartland. His big act is Lucy and the Diamonds, Diamonds. Played by this... Somebody, I forget who it is, who says this is the first film where they kind of acknowledge that white boys loved them black women's. <laughs> I love it. Because there is this long, long, long s- sequence... Where Doll who plays B.D. Hoffer, is Whining and Dining, the, the, the Sgt. Pepper band, and Lucy and the Diamonds, who are all African-American, and they're all going, their eyes are bugging out. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at the women's. <laughs> look, at the, look at the black girl booties. <laughs> Believe it or not, Dolphins is not the major villain. The major villain is one Mr. Mustard, played by aging British comedian Frankie Howard. Actually, has to sing two songs, and does it terribly. At the behest of the future villain band, mm-hmm. he steals the instruments of the Peppers and spreads them out across the country, which we are led to believe are actually magical. With the, magical yes. and imbued with the spirit of the original Billy mm-hmm. Shears and the original Sergeant Pepper's right. Lonely Hearts Club Band. So Billy and the Hendersons and Strawberry Fields, Sandy Farina's character, have to go and. Regain their instruments, mm-hmm. and they visit various characters such as Doctor Maxwell Edison, played by Steve Martin, who sings Maxwell. Who sings, sings Max? Maxwell? Which actually is a, pretty good. Yeah, I mean a, it's, it's done a, in that Steve Martin seventies wild and crazy guy. Yeah, but it's, yeah,
1: but it's one of the high points of the movie for me when I saw, it, and it's one of the few parts of the movie I remember
0: that is a standout. Yeah,
1: part. I really enjoyed that. And yeah. meanwhile, while they're
0: off running around trying to collect their instruments. Frankie Howard, Mean Mr. Mustard, has turned Heartland into dead. It's, like, the funniest thing is, like, you see him him and Carol Strucken, who used to play Lurch. Lurch, in the Adams Family. Oh, you see their, like, weird bus, and their bus passes over the ice cream shop. And when they pass <laughs> it And by, it turns into East New York. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it becomes a slum. Oh, yeah. Or well, Brownsville. Yeah. Or someplace like that. Oh, and my. they end up having to fight the future villain man who's played by Aerosmith. Yeah. Meanwhile... Dougie Shears, who's Billy's brother, draws a benefit for Heartland, which is attended by Earth, Wind, and Fire for some reason. Yeah, they come out of nowhere to do Although the they do a great version of Got to Get You into, into My, my life. life. Yeah. That became one of their most popular singles. And then so Dougie yeah. and Lucy decide to make off with the money. Storyfields is injured, and Billy decides to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. But all looks lost until. Along comes Sergeant Pepper, mm-hmm. who is played by the only person who is even remotely, remotely connected with the Beatles in this whole film. As a matter of fact, he was known for many I mean, years and still is known now as the fifth, fifth Beatle. Billy Preston, who is very, very, <laughs> very black. When <laughs> I see this scene, all I can think of is Peter Frampton going, Oh, man, I got Mr. some black in me. <laughs> yeah, because obviously somebody
1: had forgotten the continuity. I can see the continuity, yes. girl. She looked
0: at the script and said, Wait a minute. We said that this is his grandfather. Right. (laughs) And he makes everything right again. And then they try to recreate back in the Sgt. Pepper album. Yeah. By dragging any old celebrity they could find off the back of the bus. Mm -hmm. They're all singing Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart, the the reprise. Right. You've got Keith Carradine and Wolfman Jack and Carol Channing, who does not know where she is. You know, it looks like they literally dragged anybody off of
1: the Mm -hmm. set who was there that day. For the shoot and just stuck them in there. Because you have some
0: people that look and say, what's going on here? It's Robert Palmer, who looks like all of ten years old at this point. I'll admit it, I've watched this movie about four times. But it fascinates me because you sit there and you wonder, how did they think they were going to get away with this? There is no way for the audience to really hook into the story because... There's no dialogue. There's no sense of these characters as being character.
1: Yeah, they just presented. Okay, this is Billy Shears. This right. is This is this is that. This is that. All it is is an excuse for a bunch of people to get together to sing right.
0: Beatles songs,
1: and, and that's it. And talented
0: the Bee Gees were, and they were. Yeah. They we're have not saying we not. Yeah, the actorly charisma of a freshly gutted trout.
1: But you know sometimes, it doesn't matter how talented you are. If you put it in the wrong property, Mm -hmm. and some things, I don't care how talented
0: you are, you can't make it work. I don't even think even the Beatles themselves could have made this work if they were in it. But I mean, you look at, for example, something that came out recently Across the Universe, which has very much a similar premise. Here's a story we're telling through the Beatles' music, Mm -hmm. and that seems a lot more successful. Well, you had the advantage, you had Julie Taymor, who
1: was... Visually, she's stunning. Mm-hmm. You can just go watch her movies just for the visuals alone. This movie doesn't have that. No, this, this movie, movie has Michael movie, Schultz, who directed Car Wash. This
0: movie doesn't even have, oh, well, Michael Schultz. Well, well see, no, he's a good... He was not, Yeah, he's a good director. I wanted to bring that up because oh. here's a person who knows how to direct the film. Yeah, Michael
1: Schultz was a very good director. You can only work with what you have. Maybe if they had a script to start with, they said, okay, well, here's a bunch of Beatles songs. Actually, from what I remember of this movie... A lot of the scenes seem like they was Improvised to me Or they just came on That day as, Well you're gonna Say You're going There
0: were certain Sequences where Stigwood just wanted To try and get As many Beatles songs In as possible There's Yeah Long sequence Which is supposed to Account the rise of Peppers huh And it's just a Sequence of film clips With them doing Various songs The only thing that
1: I can say about This movie is that it's good if you want to put it on and just look like even George Burns. George Burns comes on; and it's a nice little number yeah, where oh he, does he does a little uh Joshua. Yeah, well he does two When I'm sixty-four, wow. When
0: I'm sixty-four is done by Sandy Farina and Frankie Howard. George Burns does two songs. He does fixing a hole. Yeah, okay. Because he has this fantasy where I could be a rock star too, Mhm. and he does fixing a hole with these. Three little kids. It's actually kind of sweet. I know. Yeah, you right, him. right. That's And he I also of. Yeah. does for the benefit of Mr. Kite, right, okay. which makes very little sense because he's Mr. Kite. But it's kind of nice to see yeah. him out there. And Billy Preston, of course, when he comes yeah, he on, does. and he, back. he is, "Here's all the energy you've been waiting for."
1: Exactly. This is the energy should have been in the entire movie. And, and I gotta Billy- say, as much as I dislike Aerosmith, they did a mean come together. Yeah. If, if you do come together the way it's supposed to be done, like they do it. Yeah. That's all that song kicks ass. It, the movie, if you take it that way, it's like little individual videos right. and watch it that way. You can get a
0: lot of I mean, enjoyment you want, out yeah, of it. We go back to, to that whole sequence with Steve Martin and then Alice Cooper, who plays a father-son. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the future villain band. Mm-hmm. They're just basically three vignettes. One right after yeah. the other. So taken that way, yeah. But otherwise, taken as a cohesive whole as a movie,
1: nah, it doesn't work. But would you recommend that people watch it, though. Do you think
0: people... See, I can endure it, you think, it, but do you you think,
1: think people should spend money on it? Let me I don't it. know if they <laughs> should spend money on <laughs> it. You ain't gonna it. go that far. See,
0: <laughs> I have learned to endure it. Once again... We come back to the same thing with cancer. I find some charm in it, even though I recognize it is damn near unwatchable if you don't know what's going on. Like say if
1: it came on, I would watch it, but yeah. I would probably every re- once in a while you'll see it on a, 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 one of the free stations. I would be doing something else like cleaning yeah. up, and when I heard a number that I like, I'd run in and mm-hmm. watch
0: that. So that's is it. My turn. It's your turn now.
1: All right, and I'm gonna go back to a movie that I'm sure a lot of people have seen, and I don't know how weird it qualifies as. I think it's pretty weird. because of the dark turn it takes at the end of of the movie. And it's weird because in its casting choice, which I'm going to get to in a minute, it is the 1978 The Wiz, based on, of course, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, the movie, the book, and more importantly, there was a stage version that ran for a gazillion years on Mm -hmm. Broadway. There was a major hit during
0: the mid-70s. With
1: Stephanie Mills playing. Mm -hmm. But this movie version starred Diana Ross... Michael Jackson, back when he was a black man, not a white right. woman, Nipsey Russell, Ted Ross, and Mabel King, Lena Horne, and Richard Pryor. And I'm sure I don't really have to go a whole lot into the story. It is The Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. but transplanted to New York City, which right. in this movie is standing for Oz. Diana Ross, who was way too old to be playing yeah. Doris, she's supposed to be this little naive girl, and we're looking at this, like, 40-year-old something woman who right. still lives at home, still talks to her dog, and she gets swept away from her ghetto life into the magical land of Oz. Manhattan stands in for the Emerald City, which is probably the best casting. The movie is written
0: by our old friend, <laughs> who we just spent about... A half an hour talking about in the previous episode. If, if the Batman episode comes on, yeah, before Batman episode is going to come before. Okay, this.
1: so if you listen to the Batman episode, you've heard us go on and on about this guy. This was written by Joel Schumacher, the screen of Volpe. It was directed by Sidney Lumet. That surprised me when I saw that Sidney Lumet directed this movie, which is really that is a surprise. We follow the familiar story. She meets the Scarecrow, played mm-hmm. by Michael Jackson. Right. She meets the Tin Man, played by Nipsey Russell. She meets the Lion, who is actually one of the Lions on the New York, right. uh, on 42nd Street, who comes to life, who is played by Ted Ross, who
0: was in the Broadway oh, production. He's so like was Mabel no, King, right?
1: Mabel King yes, was I the Wicked Witch. Yeah. She's one of my favorite ones, because she mm-hmm. has a memorable number. Don't bring me no bad news. It tastes like a little darker thing, because her flying monkey's are not flying monkeys. They're a motorcycle (laughs) gang in these big, huge leather outfits. Right. And they ride on the front wheel. They don't ride on the seat of the motorcycle. It's weird when you see it, how they ride these things. But the whole movie follows a familiar pattern where Dorothy meets her companions, they free them from wherever they're at, and they go on to Oz. This is one of the two major movies of the 70s that was filmed at the World Trade Center. Ah, The other being the Dino Laurentiis King Kong version. Now, something that I've noticed, since 9-11, and TBS used to run this all the time. Yeah. Since 9-11, I have not seen The Wiz on TV. And I wonder if it's because it features... It's so integral. It it, it features, yeah, the World Trade Center so prominently. Because it's got that big arch that's in the middle. And Richard Pryor is the voice of The Wiz. He tells the people, okay, well, the color for today... Is now going to be green. And all of a sudden everybody's right. dressed in these green outfits. Mm-hmm. And then he changes it to red and blue. And the performances, especially Michael Jackson, and I like to say this. You watch this movie, it's kind of heartbreaking because you see the Michael Jackson that right. could have been if the cat had stayed sane. He actually does act in this movie, playing the scarecrow, who every time that he pulls out these little fortune cookie little things and it's got little proverbs and saying that's always integral to whatever's going on at that moment and it makes perfect sense to everybody else Nipsey Russell is wonderful a lot of people dismiss him as that guy from the match game who doesn't right. say the rhymes but he also shows that he's a memorable actor in here actually I like everybody in this movie except for Diana Ross mm-hmm. I can't stand her in this movie too old they should have either let Stephanie Mills do it right. or they should have found a younger actress somebody up and coming with some acting chops because she looks too damn old I'm sorry right. she does for this to be playing this the special effects are good the Manhattan locations the New York locations right. period i remember when they filmed one scene at the hoyckman station downtown brooklyn because they had the yellow brick road back then you could always tell where the wiz was filming at because they actually laid down yellow brick road it right. was linoleum wherever mm-hmm. they were filming at that was a scene that was supposed to, remember in the original the wizard of oz where they went to the forest, where the trees came to life. Right. Well, in the Hoyt and Hall Street Station, the poles. Right. <laughs> the oh, poles come to oh, life, oh, and the chase Yeah, the beams chase them. As far as weird goes, yeah, it's weird oh. because you look at it and you say, "Well, Schumacher and Lumet must have been on crack yeah. <laughs> when they filmed this," because it's so much goofiness and kookiness. It's intriguing. It's fun. It's entertaining. If you're at all sensitive, it, because I can see why if you had loved ones or relatives or friends that died in 9-11, right. I can see why you wouldn't want to see this movie. Because as we, the World Trade Center is featured very prominently yeah. in this movie. But there's a lot to enjoy about it. Lena Horne is the good witch of the North Glinda. Good, right. She's got a memorable number at the end, Believe in Yourself. Mm-hmm. The songs are good. I'm sure a lot of you have seen already, if you have revisit it. If not, it's no skin off my nose. I just thought I'd throw it out there as a weird musical. I enjoy it. I like it myself. And I think that you would too, if you... I
0: know that a lot of these films, uh, which had the, the the World Trade Center, they get a... In fact, a little tribute. Do you know which film was the first film to have its World Trade Center digitally removed? Gangs of New York. No. Zoolander. Really? The, the, that last scene where he's doing the advertisement for the school... For kids... Well, I've never seen Zoolander. Okay. But I have seen Gangs in the... UK. Yeah. I did read someplace that, that when they yeah. filmed it, it was there, but... But the they... first film, it was the first film to have the World Trade Center digitally removed after 9-11. Mm. Oh, Because okay. they thought it, was, it would have been too painful. To see.
1: TBS... Used to show The Wiz all the time. But since 9 11, I don't even recall seeing it. As a matter of fact, I saw the other day, the De Laurentiis version of King, King Kong, Kong was on American Movie Channel. And that's the first time I've seen it in a long mm-hmm. time. So I'm thinking maybe there was like a moratorium on movies that prominently featured the World Trade Center. Maybe now they're saying it's been almost eight, nine right. years, so maybe we can relax a little bit and maybe start showing these movies. There was another movie I'm thinking of. I can't think of it right now. I'll probably think of it before we come to this. Before this, where the World Trade Center was featured very prominently that I haven't
0: seen on TV. I can't think of it right now. But go on, and I'll probably come up with it later. This one, of the three that we were talking about today, probably my favorite of the three, and it's probably the one that I have the most problem defending. You've been dying to get to this one for the longest. Okay, now, I recently opened a live journal. Right. And one of the recurring features on my live journal is a thing called A Flat and Red and Shiny Inside. Let
1: me interrupt. I heartily recommend folks that you go visit Tom's Live Journal. It's, it's entertaining and it's
0: informative. Okay. Go ahead. Where I take whatever Netflix sends me that day. Yeah. And I review it. Right. When this one came to my, my Netflix, I wrote a review and figured nobody was going to touch it. To my surprise, this has got the most response to any of the articles I've written to date. <laughs> we are talking about... 2001's Josie and the Pussycats We will pause for everybody to go Oh you gotta be kidding me Josie and the Pussycats When I first saw this For the first 20 minutes I was hating it Mm -hmm. And then something happens in this movie That turns it on its head And explains Why that first 20 minutes was so annoying The plot of course is about The Pussycats Three mm-hmm. girls from Riverdale: Josie, who's played by Rachel Lee Cook, who was the flavor of the month that year. Valerie, played by Rosario Dawson, whose smile could pretty much light this city for a year. Yeah, we like Rosario. We like Dawson. Rosario Dawson a lot. And Tara Fucking Reed has melody.
1: You don't like. I somebody. hate Tara. Well, you don't
0: Reed. like somebody. You really don't
1: like them. Do well, you? believe
0: it or not, I'm going to say good things about her in this uh, oh, okay. discussion. Even though I think that she is the center of all that is evil and foul and black in this world. They don't want to say where Riverdale is exactly. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the hot band at the time, Du Jour, one of the members of which is played by Seth Green of Robot Chicken fame, are on a plane to Riverdale to premiere their new single when mysteriously, they get into a fight, and one of the members says to their manager, Wyatt Frame, played by one of my favorite actors, Alan Cummings. Okay, yeah. "Uh, There are these weird backing vocals on this single. What's up with that? To which then, Alan Cummings goes into the pilot and says take the Chevy to the levee, puts on a parachute and jumps out. <laughs> okay. That's one of the recurring funny gags about this film is that all of Alan Cummings' evil plans are named after famous song lyrics. Okay. So there's another plan. Yeah, because that that's from American Pie. Yeah, Pi? it's American, plan. American Pie. Yeah, there's another the pla- When he meets this, like, goth girl who hates du jour. Mm-hmm. he enacts the plan called Smells Like Teen Spirit. He ends up Landing near Riverdale, and his boss, Fiona, tells him he better find a new band quickly. Mm -hmm. And he literally almost runs over the Pussycats. There's a moment where he stops up short, Mm -hmm. and there are the three. They're running away from the cops. Mm -hmm. And he looks at them, and he takes out a CD case, takes out the cover, and looks at them through the CD case. Paradise by the Dashboard light plays. Okay. And he's like, I
1: found them! So already... This is a departure from the animated TV yeah. series. Because the animated TV series, they were already established as a man. And they traveled around the world and got involved in these right. mysteries. Which usually ended up with them being chased by the villain right. for five minutes while they saw played. Charitably. And, then, yeah. so this and is like, I'm stretching it a bit. This yeah. could be
0: considered the prequel to the cartoon series. This is like an origin story, yeah. in other words. Now, meanwhile, while all this is going on, there is... Product placement and product placement and more product placement. So much product placement, you want to vomit. Wyatt whisks the pussycats away to New York Mm -hmm. to meet with Fiona, and here's where, like I said, everything gets turned on its head. Fiona, who's played by a woman who I've expressed a lot of admiration for in the past, Parker Posey, is doing a tour with some foreign investors. And takes her down to the heart of her operation. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that she is in collusion with the United States government. Mm -hmm. Because it turns out that these teenagers through their minimum wage jobs and their babysitting gigs have all this money that the government can't tax. So what do they do? They create subliminal advertising they put in their pop music mm-hmm. to get them to spend that money where they want it spent. Now, see, that's a clever idea. The funniest thing is they explain this. They sit the foreign investors down and show them a training film mm-hmm. hosted by Eugene Levy. <laughs> Who goes, yes, I'm Eugene Levy and I'm here to talk to you about something important. No, not my career. Uh-huh. <laughs> and from here on it, it becomes... An absolutely silly satire. Satire! Of consumerism. Of (laughs) consumerism because these subliminal adverts, which are. Generated by the Mega Sound 3000 Are so powerful That it makes Cara Reed Who plays Melody Who's a vegetarian mm-hmm. Into a McDonald's fanatic <laughs> Okay In fact at one point We have her in the shower And she's got McDonald's shower curtains mm-hmm. And one of those like loofah things Yeah a loofah oh. glove A loofah glove In the shape of Hamburglar uh-huh. And she's like I'm in the McDonald's So and, this movie goes Like yeah, off just, into a completely right. different direction and, and, Meanwhile, there's somebody that's apparently stalking these people. Like, for example, when she gets out of the shower, there's a sign: "Beware, Fiona." And she looks at it, and you hear like there's a music sting, and she goes, "No, there's something wrong here." And then she just and puts a heart over the eye. <laughs> goes, now it's better. Uh, Fiona and uh, why I feel that Josie's the real star here mm-hmm. is the more marketable person. So they're trying to orchestrate a breakup between the, th- the lot of them, while also orchestrating the fiery death of the other two okay. to create more sales. He just gets. Very bizarre, very quickly. Once you buy into this whole thing, mm-hmm. after the halfway, it worked. Now, it's not a perfect film. The directors, who are Harry Elfont and Deborah Kaplan, obviously think they've written the most clever thing ever, and it's not. But it's a lot cleverer than you would have been written. Yeah. Let's be honest.
1: It's adapted from a 60s right. cartoon that a lot of people probably don't remember mm-hmm. anyway. So
0: it's a lot cleverer yeah. than it
1: needed to be for exactly. what it is.
0: On top of that, it features... Some real kick ass music. Written partially by Alan Derwitz of Counting Crows and a singer from Boston who I absolutely adore by the name of Kay Hanley. Okay. Who is the former frontman of a band called Letters for Cleo. And she provides the lead vocals for all of the Josie and the Pussycat songs. Oh, okay. If you've ever heard the quote unquote the theme song from this, which is called Three Small Words. That's Kay Hanley singing her heart out on that. Jour does a couple of very obvious Backstreet Boy parodies. One called Backdoor Man, which is just so <laughs> slutty, it's hilarious. Yeah, that's got its own connotation right yeah. there.
1: That's interesting. So you recommend... Well, I know I, you've I, been telling people about I've been telling people, for, people about the And there's
0: one other element I want to mention, which is Missy Pyle. Oh, yeah. Barbara. Missy Pyle plays Alexandra Because every once in a while they try to yeah. break the fourth wall. Missy Pyle has the one truly funny fourth wall breaking gag where a brother, you know, Alexander, who's like their manager, is yeah, like the manager, bitching yeah. at her, going, why the hell are you here anyway? She's like, doing her nails, she goes, because I was in the comic book, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was in the comic yeah. The thing about Missy Pyle that, sadly, she has fallen in with David E. Kelly and mm-hmm. has become part of his freak show. You know David E. Kelly, he'll always show people off at their worst. Mm-hmm. What he's done with Christian Clemenson, for God's sake. Yeah,
1: he's going to turn him into a clown. But I like Missy Powell. The first time I saw her wasn't in a David E. Kelly show. Right. She was in that movie with Queen Latifah bringing down the house. Where mm-hmm. she had this kick-ass fight scene right. with Queen Latifah. Imagine gently fighting <laughs> Mike Tyson. <laughs> right. And that's kind of like what it was like.
0: The thing that, that annoys me about what David E. Kelly is doing to her is you look at her in Charlie the Chocolate Factory. Where you realize she's actually she's an ex- extraordinarily beautiful woman. Yeah. And yet, when she, now she's doing these grotesque roles. And in, she's very funny. And she's extremely funny. She was recently on Boston Legal. Did you yeah. see where she showed up as a
1: woman that wanted to petition the people? Yeah, well, that's Agreed. a recurring character Yeah, that she has. And she's this dead emotional person, but she's I, always... I'm filled with joy. I'm filled with And everybody's yeah. looking at it, and she says it in a moment. Yeah. She's extraordinarily talented. Tell- I love Missy Powell. And I would see this movie... Just because you recommend her yeah. so strongly in this one. Because I would like to see, just her sort of say that line, because I got mad how she said <laughs> it. Yeah, like, yeah, well, I was in the comedy book, you know.
0: So I so I have to, it's
1: just, like, so offhanded. <coughs> it's also amazing how much mileage they've gotten out of these peripheral Archie characters, like yeah. Sabrina. Mm-hmm. Sabrina ran on ABC. Well, uh, Sabrina and Josie have
0: outlasted Archie in that. Yeah.
1: Sabrina ran on ABC for damn near ten years. And they only stopped it because it was obvious... Melissa Joan Hart was getting too old to play a teenage witch. Yeah, and Josie and the Pussycats, from what I read and understand, the movie was moderately successful in the theater and became even more popular, as happened so often, or DVD. The music, like I said, is really, really good. And for me, now, my third one is not that weird, but, however, I saw it in the theaters and I enjoyed it so much that I just wanted to put it out there and tell people how much I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And I know they liked it. And if you haven't seen it already, then you really need to go get the DVD and see Dreamgirls. Which is mm-hmm. a musical that came out in 2006. This is the movie that made a star out of Jennifer Hudson. Right. Who, of course, sang the signature song from the movie and I'm, I'm, you, I'm, I'm Not, not going. Which
0: made a star out of the girl Jennifer, that, Holiday. Jennifer Holiday, Another J.H.,
1: Who played Mm -hmm. it
0: on Broadway. You know what I find so curious is that it seems like, with one exception, the strongest careers that come out of American Idol are the people who don't make the final cut. Well, I don't know, because, see, I don't watch American Idol. Uh, As I've told
1: you many times, the only thing I watch it for, I watch it for the tryout. The tryout. yeah. I like seeing people get humiliated, folks. Yes, I do. (laughs) I like us. This is based on the... Broadway musical that mm-hmm. also ran for a gazillion years, very successful, based loosely, supposedly on the Supremes. I don't right. know. This is what I keep hearing, what I keep reading, but it's about three girls, one played by Beyonce Knowles, mm-hmm. one played by Jennifer Hudson, another one played by Anika Noni Rose, right? who start out, they're young girls, they're very ambitious, they want to be stars. One night they get their chance. When they sing back up for Eddie Murphy's character, and Eddie Murphy plays a character that's based, Lucy, I think, on Marvin Gaye. It so it's kind of a James Brown kind of knockoff. But then, as the movie progresses into the seventies, he becomes a Marvin Gaye type of character and gets involved heavily with drugs. And Eddie Murphy deserved his Academy Award nomination for this because it's the best piece of acting he's done in years, right. and it reminds us. Of why Eddie Murphy became such a big became star. Eddie Murphy, yeah, Yeah, Jamie Foxx, through some chicanery becomes the manager of these three girls. Yeah, okay, I can see where it's Barry Gordy, Diana Ross type of thing because eventually he ends up marrying the Beyoncé Knowles character, right. who is supposed to be the Diana Ross right. character. The group is renamed. Beyoncé yeah. Knowles wishes
0: she could kiss Diana Ross's ass. No, no, you know, so I'm sorry, I'm not a big fan. Neither am
1: I. Actually, I think that in terms of talent or marketing, people deserve more credit for her career than she does. Mm Because as far as talent goes, she's moderately talented. But they've marketed her up the wazoo so much that you can't turn on your TV or your radio or your damn computer without seeing Beyoncé Knowles. She was pretty good in this movie. I enjoyed the performances of everybody, actually. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed the way the story was told. Even though I'd seen it on Broadway years ago, it's been so long ago I had forgotten about it. It's your typical old-fashioned movie musical, which is why I like this. You have... The young kids starting out, they're excited, they're happy, they're full of dreams, and they get involved in extramarital affairs and drugs Mm -hmm. and the shady side of the record business. You have the fall, but then again, you have the rise, and you have when the girls come back together and they realize, you know, something. We're friends, love each other. This is our talent. Jennifer Hudson's character has a remarkable story arc where she has to go out on her own and actually find her own musical voice and own musical identity by herself before she can come back with her friends and they can achieve what it is that they started out to do all those years ago. It's a good throwback to the old-fashioned movie Mm -hmm. musicals. Well, you know, and I think you talked about this before, you have musicals like Chicago and Pennies from Heaven where they have to explain a reason why... People are breaking out the right. song. They explain it as these hallucinations that they're having or fantasy sequences. Girls doesn't do that. People just start singing and they right. don't explain why they're singing. Because you know what? It's a musical. Musicals are set
0: in a universe where people
1: break it's out funny in money, that
0: Musicals seem to be coming back, but nobody wants to admit it. Damn Girls does. You have s- I mean we've talked in an earlier episode about how the advertising for Sweeney Todd did everything it could to not reveal it was a musical. Right. Yeah, you have concert scenes where they're singing because they're in concert. But then you also have scenes where
1: people are singing and they're singing mm-hmm. for no apparent reason other than the fact this is a musical and this is how right. people express themselves. In a musical, they don't talk their dialogue. They sing, mm-hmm. since it was such a huge hit. Personally, me, I'm glad to see musicals coming right. back. I do like music. I don't like every musical I've seen. The ones that are good and well-made, like this one, and right. like Sweeney Todd, which mm-hmm. you talked about in. Right. Yeah, I enjoy the hell out of them. If the music and the songs enhance the emotion of what's going on and is there for a reason... You can go with it. I really don't understand people that tell me, oh, well, I hate musicals. Well, why do you hate musicals? Well, where's the music coming from? Well, when you watch Lethal Weapon 4 and there's a car chase and there's music, where's the music coming right. from then? So what's the difference? Why are you bitching about that? Don't sit back and watch the damn thing and enjoy it. But anyway, even though it's not all that weird, I love it. It's a wonderful musical.
0: Rent it. Well, it's also got Danny Glover in it. hint and battle. That's a name that we haven't seen for a while, although I guess now his big claim to fame is he was in the Buffy musical episode. Yeah,
1: it's loosely based on the Supreme, so it takes you from 50s doo-wop to 60s R&B, 70s disco. You see how they have to change their act to keep fluctuating with the different musical tastes. They start out as a 50s doo-wop girls group, and then they metamorphosize into a 60s R&B group. Then, 70s, they have the land-made suits with the disco ball right. and their disco group. It's fun to see all these different musical styles represented. So, Girls, by all means, rent it, sit back and
0: have a good time watching it. You know what's going to be interesting, though, in the next coming couple of years? these so are the first of that last year with Hairspray. You know, we've had musicals based on movie musicals that have become fairly popular now. Mm-hmm. Now, you figure we're going to start seeing movies based on the musicals based on the movie musicals. Yeah. It's weird how things are
1: going back and forth mm-hmm. now between yeah. Broadway and musicals. They turn Legally Blonde. Legally right. Blonde was a straight movie. Then they went to Broadway it's a musical. Now I heard that they're going to do the film right. version of the musical. musical. So what? So we're going to have two versions of every
0: musical. We're going to have the straight drama right. and then we're going to have a musical version of movie. Yeah. Also the whole thing with the Legally Blonde thing ties in with the thing that worries me about the fact that the window between original and remake is being compressed you and i talked about the bad lieutenant which is being remade. oh right
1: yeah and that's a movie i'm kind of torn on this because i don't get my jaws all tight like a lot of people do when they say remake oh remake oh they shouldn't remake any movie well Broadway remakes stuff all the time they just call them yeah. revivals they do showboat every five years mm-hmm. without fail they do showboat they do south pacific right well, oh, we're seeing South Pacific right now on Broadway. They're gonna bring Dreams Girls back because the movie was such a big hit. Broadway does it all the time. Nobody bitches. Nobody says anything when they do a revival of My Fair Lady. That's all a remake is. It's another version done with a different cast. Don't get uptight about it. What I'm concerned about is that we're seeing such a compression of time that it's like crazy. So we see a movie and what, like five years later we're going to see another version of it? They're remaking Robocop. Not that I'm opposed to a remake of Robocop per se. It's a movie that's only 20 years old.
0: It's funny because it's like, like, okay, for example, somebody's talking about doing a remake of Evil Dead, which I can kind of sort of understand because you figure that's one of the cases where that was an ultra low-budget film, and I could almost see Sam Raimi saying, oh, well, yeah, maybe we could do it with a bigger budget. Right.
1: Let me do it the way... Because I'm pretty sure that the movie he envisioned in his head is not the one that was on the screen, but due to budget and the special effects available to him at the time, he made the best movie he could. Right. So he may be saying, now, now that I got some more time up under my belt and I know more about what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Let me remake this movie and do it the way that I saw it in my head. Then I can understand. But when you just remake it just to cash in on things. Do we need a movie musical version of Legally Blonde when we just had the movie right. version 10 well, years yeah. ago? Do you really think people going to pay $10, $12 to
0: see that? I don't know. I you. So, uh, to review, my three choices were yeah. the somewhat fictionalized, somewhat unrealistic <laughs> version of the village people's story can't stop the music the absolutely lunatic what the hell were they thinking beatles tribute he Uh-oh. says holding up the air quotes, yeah holding up the air sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band and in the 2001 film about subliminal messaging which is actually a lot better than it has any damn right to be yosie and the pussycats So out of your three, you would say that the one that you would recommend the most? You just have to remember that that first 20 minutes is a slog, particularly because it's just so heavy with the product placement, but it does make sense.
1: But the second half is
0: more than Yeah, once we meet Fiona for the first time, Mm -hmm. it does make sense. Okay, and my three are, to recap
1: very quickly, is the 1986 Little Shop of Horrors, Directed by Frank Oz, starring Rick Moranis, Ellen Green, Steve Martin, with the voice of Levi Stubbs as the plant. two, mm-hmm. and it's a story about a boy and his plant and his right. quest to feed his <laughs> plant, who is always, <laughs> is is always more. Is hungry. Look for the chorus of the three girls in the mm-hmm. background to Arnold is one of the girls in the background and the girl from Everybody Hates Chris. Wonderful score. You're going to love it. My second one is the 1978 The Wiz. Right. Directed by Sidney Lumet, who Mm -hmm. you were surprised about. Written by our good friend Joel Schumacher. Starring Diana Ross, Michael Jackson, Nipsey Russell, Ted Ross, Mabel King, Lena Horne, and Richard Pryor. It's based on the Broadway hit play, which Mm -hmm. in turn was based on The Wizard of Oz. If You've already seen it. You know what I'm talking about. If not rent it enjoy it but be warned World Trade Center it's an integral part of the movie it's featured very heavily in there so if you have any unpleasant memories of of those buildings and of 911 then of course I would suggest that you stay away from it yeah. and dream girls the movie that made a star out of Jennifer Hudson. Also, this was based on a long-running Broadway play. And I heard they're going to bring it back bring to it Broadway. that it's sure. such a big hit. Jamie Foxx, Beyonce Knowles, Eddie Murphy, Danny Glover, and Hinton Battle. And it's a loose adaptation of the career of the Motown group, The Supremes. Wonderful music. Excellent performances. Very good rental for Friday Friday, Saturday night, especially if you're home alone with the girlfriend or the wife.
0: Now, before we get to the administrative, administrative stuff. stuff, we did have a piece of email I wanted to share. Okay. Uh, this is from Michael Peacock. Dear Thomas and Derek, Even though my first episode of the show was a fairly old one, the Pam Grew episode to be exact, it had to be the first out of my exploration of your podcast, since I've loved her as an actress ever since my first exposure to her acting in Original gangsters. Wow. I'm assuming the request for emails is still open. If that's the case, then count me in on that action, and I look forward to exploring more of what your show can offer. I enjoyed the discussion I heard about the keynote films of Pam's career and the educated but still good-humored notes you brought up. I just got through downloading your latest episode, and like I mentioned, I'll be checking out your archives. Just thought you'd like to hear from an official brand-new fan of BITD. Take it easy. Michael Peacock. Well, Michael Peacock, thank you very much. That was very nice. I liked it. I'm, well, yeah, I thought you'd like to know that. And yeah. we are going to continue. The big thing that's we're going to be doing over the next couple of months is, of course, the James Bond series. Yeah. Which they got I, that to look forward by to. By the time, actually, you hear this, at least two episodes will be out.
1: Because we got one, you got one. The one that's coming, it's going to be gonna out one this one Sunday. This Sunday, yeah. So look forward to that this Sunday, the first one. Yeah.
0: Right. And I figure I'll try to do at least one every month. Okay, the next couple of and weeks.
1: we're going to be covering all of the James Bond mm-hmm.
0: movies, Mike, so... You're gonna to want to listen it out for that. Plus, we've got stuff. Probably by the, the time you hear this, you'll have heard the Vincent Price one that we did recently. Yeah, the Vincent Price one.
1: I'm glad you brought that. A lot of people keep emailing me, asking me to say, "Well, when is that going up?" Because they that's they probably wanna going
0: hit. up next after the first Impala. Oh, okay. That's the one I'm probably gonna put up next. Okay, so by the time they hear this one, they they'll have heard, heard that. I love the fact that we do this kind of like weird time travel thing. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Yeah <laughs> So anyway, administrative stuff. If you want to get in touch with us like Michael Peacock just did, the easiest way to do that is to send us an email at our Gmail account, which is betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better the letter N, the dark, at gmail.com. You can, of course, leave a message on our Potomatic page, although that's got to change soon. Yeah. We're running out of space there. We'll keep you folks up to
1: date as when we're going to change. And
0: that's at betterinthedark.podomatic.com. And finally, you could join our Yahoo mailing group, which is at movies.yahoo.groups, backslash groups, backslash better in the dark. Any of these ways is a good way to contact us. We read everything that comes in. We usually only answer the emails on the shows, but we do address stuff on the mailing list. And we also post stuff and reply to stuff on the Potomatic page. And don't forget, Tom also, he just started a live journal. Go over
1: to his live journal, check. And I have one as well. So if you want to contact us, that way,
0: by all means, you're free to do that too. You'd look for New York Wisdom. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think yours is D Ferguson, right? Yeah, mine is D Ferguson, the name of his dirt. So I've also, also started. Yeah, a, tell me about the other thing too. This weird kind of role-playing game. It's kind of like a exercise in communal writing called Neville Knights, which is a TV show on paper that we're trying to do weekly episodes. We're going to do uh, our first commitment is for fourteen weeks. Mm -hmm. And if we feel like we're still having fun, we'll renew the show for another half a season. And we're going to treat it just like a TV show. Every season of 26 weeks and so on, until we get tired of it. A lot of you may say I'm biased, but I've checked out the first dozen entries that was made. There's some really excellent writing on this thing. Neville is a fictitious town in New York, which is this weird focal point for some strange stuff. So if you
1: like stuff like Twin Peaks,
0: Erie, Indiana, or Uh, Point Pleasant, the one that I Pleasant.
1: or American Gothic mm-hmm. If you like those type of TV shows Then this is the type of thing that I think you'll probably enjoy as well I'm glad that we can end the episode on an
0: up note Because the last
1: couple of episodes we had Oh we
0: god, to- that episode that we did Which I don't think you're going to hear just yet about The annual Obscure Film oh, episode Oh, gloom and doom and death That for was so a depressing we, I'm glad that we had some fun with We had to do,
1: some, to do something to lighten up the mood for a while
0: there So I mm-hmm. guess we're done for this one? That is correct So he's Tom DJ And he's Derek Ferguson and no matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter what you sing in this great big world of ours, go see that movie and many more. <laughs> That's all, folks. You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas, E. J. and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Michael Bailey of Views from the Long Box, the Joffrey Street crew of Cool Shit on the Tube, Brian Ibbett of Coverville, and the members of the Better in the Dark Yahoo group at movies.groups.yahoo.com backslash group backslash Better in the Dark. Better in the Dark would love to sit down, but the rubber burns in our butt from riding that front wheel of that motorcycle kind of stops us from doing that. Previous episodes for the show can be downloaded from betterinthedark.podomatic.com. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, and pipe bombs to dark at gmail.com. That's better, the letter thedark, at gmail.com. Interact with the hosts and the fans of this podcast at the, better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards105.com. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation. All material copyright, Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember, it's never a good idea to feed a sinister-looking plant human blood, no matter what it promises you or how cool its singing voice is. Go watch that movie.